Hi, this is Jennifer Reichert, the producer of the Cry Havoc podcast. Our discussion of producing your own work was rather lengthy, so it will be divided into two parts. On this first episode, we discuss the role of a producer in a theatrical production, as well as the critical questions actors, writers, and directors must consider when deciding to produce their own work. And in our next episode, the conversation will continue with practical tips our artists have learned from their time in the producer's chair. From New York City, a podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Jersey Gwizdowski, I'm an actor. Jennifer Kerfman, I'm an actor. Jen Reichert, I'm a writer. And I'm Kit Lavoy, I'm a writer and a director. Uh, today we're talking about uh, producing your own work. Uh, that even though everyone introduced themselves here as a writer or a director or an actor, uh, all of us actually do have some experience or other uh, in producing some work on the stage in New York City. And when we do our career workshops, it's actually a question that very often comes up, that people want to know uh, how to take work that they're interested in seeing done or doing themselves and bringing it to the stage. And there really is a degree to which producing is, is an awful lot like elementary school teaching insofar as it's a job that I think everybody thinks they can do and actually takes a lot more skill than people who don't do it on a day-to-day -day basis realize. So what we're going to talk about today is a bit about our experience as producers, um, kind of philosophy and approach to uh, producing a show, and also we'll get into some sort of practical uh, best practices and uh, tricks and tips and traps uh, to look out for when you're producing your own work. Um, so uh, just before we really start talking, um, do you guys want to uh, tell us about, and actually I'm not sure for all of you exactly what you've produced because it hasn't all been together. So uh, what have you guys done? Well, I first started producing in college and uh, that was a, sort of a microcosmic experience of producing, but it definitely set me up because it was in the Bronx, and so I had some of the resources that I used during college were able to transfer into my non-academic producing experience. And I, I've done several festivals of one-act plays, um, one that had nine pieces in it, and I also produced for Cry Havoc. Those, many of these were for Cry Havoc. I also produced Macbeth and Much Ado in Repertory, and I produced co-productions with other festivals like the Riot and I think we, we did a, a festival called Road Test and then I produced Romeo and Juliet for Cry Havoc with other people and then just this past summer I did a very small production in another festival with Manhattan Rep of my own play in another festival setting just Julian and Wealthy. I was about to say that my introduction to production was uh, accidental, but Jen, when you said that in school, you, that's really when you started, I, I realized that that's when I started too, to some extent, about uh, putting together student productions and creating opportunities, and that's really where I built some of those skills that I think I discovered that I had later, but I think that's where a lot of them came from, was, was um, producing in school. Although, after moving to New York, my role as a producer was largely accidental. Yeah, I say accidental because it happened based on opportunity, that I was sort of working with a group of people in order to do work, and then the opportunity arose to put a production together, and based on you know our desire to continue to do that work and to show it to more people and to put up a show, we did that. And I've also been fortunate enough to... Uh, Produced based on, you know, really uh, set goal to put up one show um, and produced it off off Broadway and also partnering with other theater companies, um, working with larger nonprofits uh, or educational companies or co-producing with other artists and companies as well. Um, work both of my own and work with a company that had a long-term goal 
that may not necessarily have been fulfilled, but at least was embarked upon with that purpose. I started pretty much right after graduating from school. One of the things that came up that comes up for so many of us is the idea that you have people who are interested in your work and nothing to show them. And so I started with some of my college classmates producing industry showcases. We did scenes or musical nights or monologues, different things, um, kind of as an extension of the showcases that we had done coming out of school. And um, that naturally evolved into wanting to do something more expansive together. And a group of us decided that we would do a play that a lot of people <laughs> make this decision about, five women wearing the same dress, um, and did sort of a, a one-off production of that. And then I was also at the time doing a little bit of stage managing and ended up kind of stepping into a producer role through that with a couple of different downtown companies for off-off-Broadway kind of productions. And I have also produced um, with Cry Havoc in an assisting kind of a role um, on Romeo and Juliet as well. I've actually never uh, produced anything myself, but I've had a number of experiences in day jobs. I worked for the Hilton Theater for a while on the general management staff and had a lot of interaction with producers that would come in with shows uh, at that venue. And also now I work for a company that tours Broadway shows and I have a daily interaction with producers kind of on those large scale shows. And on the smaller sense, I've mostly been a um, stage manager or actor for shows with first time producers actually. That's me. My producing experience, I think, began even before college, where I was not so much producing, but I was uh, the assistant producer to the producer of the local theater when I was in high school, and um, was the one who was in charge of the money for like our drama organization on campus, you know, which at least began to let me dip my toe into seeing exactly all of the things that really go into managing a, a production. And then when I was in, in college for the last two years, I was there. I was the president and student artistic director of the main stage student theater uh, group on campus. And so there were 10 shows that I produced in the college setting there. And then really primarily the, the rest of the shows that I've been produced have been as producing artistic director of Cry Havoc, which uh, I'm no longer producing artistic director. I'm now artistic director now that Jersey is managing director. But uh, with that, I produced 28 different plays with Cry Havoc and with the producing team at Cry Havoc. And I, I also was brought on to do a, uh, to produce a, a showcase for a show that another company was trying to do to, to bring off Broadway that didn't end up moving, but I was brought in to kind of do the day-to-day -day kind of line producing element of it. And then there candidly have been quite a number of productions with first-time producers where I was directing where I ended up feeling that I was effectively the producer, which is a bit of, I think, why we want to do this episode today, is I think that that a lot of times is, is what happens, is that producers come on board, decide to do their first um, production, and then look to the director to run the ship like they would in rehearsal, when in fact there's an awful lot of the port that needs to be run that's really something that the uh, uh, that the the producer needs to be doing and so what are those jobs that make up that port that the producer is creating for the ship of the show which is essentially what they're doing is creating a working space in which the production can happen I mean some of the things that a producer has to do is they have to staff the show which means overseeing the hiring of actors, directors, designers, technicians. They need to have a publicity team, a development team, stage managers assistants, stage managers, production assistants, front of house people. They're also in charge with uh, staffing of getting contracts, overseeing payroll, dealing with unions, uh, and supervising that staff. They of course have to secure the rights to the material that they're producing. They have to budget, which includes finding the budgets for all of those people, as well as the set construction, the costumes, the props, and part of that is also looking forward and forecasting the income that they believe that they're going to get from the show. They need to build a timetable from the show, and they need to oversee the cash flow 
to see if they're matching up to their budget and to make appropriate adjustments. In order to make that budget, they need to raise funds, whether it be through donors, investors, or grants. They need to, of course, secure the theater that you're going to do the show in and the rehearsal space in which that show is going to be rehearsed. They need to be sure that all of the materials for the costumes and the sets uh, are delivered where they need to be delivered. They need to handle general transport and travel and communications. They need to get insurance. They need to uh, market the show. And then there's all the little things like your programs, your box office, handling reservations, making sure that the theater is clean. And of course, since the uh, producer is the captain of the production, they are very much responsible for handling conflict negotiation and problem solving uh, of everything that comes up in the production. Again, being a producer is a significant job um, and one that is really, in many cases, and especially the ones where you're doing, where most first-time producers do, which is a showcase sort of a situation, is really much more of a job full of responsibility than it is a job full of power. Because of all of those people that we listed that a first-time producer would be hiring, most of those people are not people they will be hiring. Many of those people will be them. Mm -hmm. So we say all that and also all have done that and will do it again. So there are benefits to be had from doing it, but it isn't a little job to undertake. So let's talk first about really what I think is the most one of the most critical steps, and frankly, a step that I really think gets stepped over very often when, uh, when someone decides to produce their own work and produce a show, which is, why are you doing this? Does anyone have any thoughts about asking yourself that question? I have some thoughts about that, uh, because my introduction to producing in the city was as I said earlier, based on uh, you know an opportunity that arose. But I think something that was very responsible and smart, and I'm not saying that it was necessarily me that was responsible and smart, but the group of us somehow arrived at the decision that we needed to articulate what we wanted to get out of putting the show up. And I think in doing so, made for a successful... Um, process of bringing people on board because we were able to really sell our show to a potential designer who in our instance was also the carpenter, painter, and technical director of the show um, mm -hmm. uh, in order to bring for nothing. You know, the, the, who was somebody who really just wanted, to, was excited by our take on the show, but defining what that take was and what we wanted to do with it and the types of opportunities that we wanted to provide for early career artists like ourselves, we wanted to provide the same opportunities for early career artists in the different disciplines that we were looking for, which became our professional goal. We set um, artistic goals as well. Um, that really reflected our aesthetic, our, our um, sensibility that those same people responded to. And I think that's what made it for us. And I would still say um, now one of the more fulfilling experiences, both on the production side, but on the, I was acting in it as well. It made it an incredibly satisfying show from both angles because everybody involved was really unified in purpose in terms of the production, what was happening to make everything possible on stage, and what happened on stage. We were, we were unified in both places. And I don't think that would have happened if we hadn't pumped the brakes before we jumped into doing a show, which we were ready and had already been rehearsing, and said, why do we want to do this? And, and sat down for a couple of meetings that were a couple hours long and really hashed out between the three of us at the time what we wanted to do. And I think it's also so important to make it a worthwhile experience, to set realistic goals. Because I do think that there's a lot of times when you have someone who's a first or second or third time producer, that that idea of laying out $5,000, dollars $15,000 seems like a huge amount of money. And one that if you are willing to either lay that out yourself or convince friends and family to put that money towards your show, that if you're able to put together that much money, that it should make your career, 
and be totally fulfilling artistically and get you fantastic reviews in every major paper and also that they will do a story on you in the local news and also get you an agent and also get you cast in a Broadway show because somebody saw you in it. But the fact of the matter is $5,000 or $10,000 or $15,000 is not that much money in the real world and it's not going to buy you all of those things. It might buy you a version of one of those things or two of those things. And that idea of when you're dealing with relatively limited resources, it's so important to decide what am I putting those resources towards? You know, is it, because it's a very different thing between saying we want to get as many people in here as we possibly can and so you pour a lot of your money into marketing and focus marketing. Or it could be there is one agent who I know is interested in my work and I'm basically putting on a show for them to come see me in. And so I'm going to put an awful lot of resources into making it as professional and polished a production in the room as possible and one that has the highest quote-unquote production values. Which high production values is actually not necessarily important. I mean, you want everything to be professional, but you can do something in a black box with cubes and things like that if your goal is not to get reviewed by the New York Times as something you know that should be moved off Broadway immediately. But if your goal is, for instance, to provide a working space where you can work with a group of artists that you want to form a relationship with, and or if you have a, a playwright that you're interested in working with, or you're a playwright who has a show you'd like to show off to some theater companies, that is something that you can put your resources elsewhere and have a relatively stripped down uh, stage production. But I do think that there's a degree to which people feel actually frankly an obligation to try to do all of those things to the absolute top level, which when you're dealing with limited resources means you do none of them to their top level. Mm -hmm. and, and every one of those things you know, requires a, a particular skill set that you may not have access to for your first production. Um, you know, someone who is skilled at marketing or industry development may not be available to you for your first production. So it may be about building your team. Like if you want, if this is something that you want to do more than a one-off, finding good staff that will make things easier the next time and more successful the next time might be one of your purposes for production just because you might not know somebody who can because basically with, with such small budgets pretty much everybody's working for free mm -hmm. um, and most people start on a non-equity level which really means for free once you start getting into you know showcase contracts then things start to change but you know, pretty much everyone's donating their time and the, what they're getting out of it is what you're bartering as a producer. Like, what am I offering you on this production in order for you to donate your time and services to the production? This is what you'll get out of it as a designer, as an actor, mm -hmm. um, as a member of the staff. That's something that I think just gets to, for me, I think the most important thing about producing your own work and especially you know, on a you know on a, on a relatively small scale, which is where most people do it, is the number of times that I have seen producers who kind of decide I'm the producer, I'm the reason everyone's here, and therefore everyone must do what I say. It is the opposite of that. If you are not paying your people, if they are there volunteering, they are essentially investors in your show. They are donors to your show who are giving you their skills. They are basically donating what would otherwise be their salary to you as a producer, because it's your job as the producer, to raise that money um, that, would, that would go to those people. And really, I think your absolute number one responsibility as a producer is to the people who are working for you. And I just think that's something that... that is incredibly helpful and incredibly important to realize that even more important than your audience enjoying the show, if you're producing something where people are working for you for free, you need to be sure that your people feel supported and respected and that they get a valuable experience out of it because they're making a real investment in seeing the show that you want to see happen, 
happen. It could not happen if they were being paid. I think when you're considering the reason for producing, any one of those goals that you listed could be you know, your primary motivation. You might want to get reviewed as a playwright. You might want to get work as an actor. You might want to build a relationship or get an agent. And I think if you have enough time, enough time and preparation, you can be successful in your goal if you're really focused on one thing. Because um, there's that saying, you can have it fast, cheap, or good, but you have to pick two out of the three. It's like any two, pick two. You can have it fast and cheap, cheap and good, or fast and good, right? But very expensive. But very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you have enough time and preparation, you can get somebody to review your show. You can get the agent you want in the room, but you have to really be working with that goal in mind. And if, like you said, if you're splitting your, you know, if you really want this reviewer here and you really want this agent here, but they're never in town in the same month, you might not be able to do both. Yep. Um, so it's just about picking which is your number one priority Aside from your responsibilities as a producer, what is your number one priority for the production? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once you're responsible to your people and then you're responsible to the production for that goal. And it has to do with where your resources go because it is something that you can put a lot of time into getting reviewers there. Or you can hire a press agent for $2,500, which is going to be a chunk of your resources, but if the important thing is to get reviewers there, that might be a very worthwhile use of your resources. But, you know, it, it is a chunk of your resources that are going to getting reviewers there. It's kind of like those house flipping shows where people choose or not choose to hire subcontractors. Like, you can, <laughs> you know, do your bathroom yourself, even if you've never done it, if you take the time to learn and make a lot of mistakes. Um, or you can save yourself the pain and aggravation and hire a professional and mm -hmm. it will cost you. And so it's just which cost is worth more to you to be less stressful about it and, and have less mistakes or to uh, you know, have your stress and mistakes be about where your money is going. It's interesting you bring up mistakes. I, I'm sitting here listening to all of you and thinking um, about one of my experiences in particular in which I think <laughs> I learned a great deal from the mistake of not having set those kinds of goals. We, I think the goal of the production was to do it. Mm -hmm. And that didn't entirely satisfy me. So I, looking back on it, I think I can, I, I can highlight the places where I made my own goals about it, what I wanted to get out of it. But as a producing experience, we were stumbling around in the dark and felt like it was a, a success ultimately because we got through it and did it and enjoyed ourselves. But I, I think we did suffer from the absence of those goals dramatically. We weren't sure which one was our priority, whether reviews or artistic fulfillment or it was, I, I know we were not trying to make money, <laughs> but beyond that, I think I never have approached anything the same way again mm -hmm. without, without setting some sort of framework in, in motion. Mm -hmm. I will say that setting out for your first production to make money is a very <laughs> difficult thing to do. Um, mostly you would hope to break even. Mm -hmm. um, and that would be the responsible thing to do is to, because especially because you're not paying people to meet the costs with whatever you make with your tickets, hopefully, um, would be the best. So that, because that would turn off most first time producers is to be in debt after you've done your first production and that would but put a serious usually, crimp in your stuff. You usually will be though. And I think, yeah. it, I think it raises the other question though of, 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 again, why you're doing it. Are you doing it to be a producer? Because mm -hmm. that's something. I mean, frankly, everyone who wants to be a producer has to produce their first show um, at some point. So there is that question of am I trying to 
build an apparatus with which I can produce other shows, you know, and really taking note of what am I learning, what am I doing. If it really is about there's this play I've always wanted to act in, no one is going to cast me in it, and I am therefore going to put together the resources to do it. But then what it becomes is an investment in your career. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, you know, where you, you decide, I'm this production's going to cost $7,000, you know, my grandma's going to kick $1,000 at me because she loves me. I'm thinking I'm going to bring in about $5,000 in ticket sales, which means it's going to cost me about $1,000 to do this show. Mm -hmm. But that's the decision that you're going to make to do it. And realize that if all you know at the beginning is grandma's kicking in $1,000, all you know for sure is that that's what you've got. There's a chance that you're going to lose $6,000 in that $7,000 show. You certainly hope not, you know, but I, but that needs to be something that you need to be willing to do. And again, going back to what I was saying before, if it turns out that you start losing money or you're going to lose more money than you thought, it doesn't make it anybody else, more of anybody else's job to pick up that slack, to take any crap from you. That is something that I think just you as a producer need to accept the fact I am taking this risk. This is a risk that a producer takes. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I think, something that, frankly, I'm not sure that all actors, directors are in a better position to appreciate that, but I'm not necessarily sure that everyone in the room realizes that guy who sits in the back of the room and is the producer and thinks he's in charge of everything generally is someone who actually has money riding on it. And, you know, especially for a first-time producer, somebody who's a little while out of school and when they're not producing is waiting tables, even losing $1,000 is losing a lot of money. And that really puts you in a position to perform a very sobering and honest uh, cost-benefit analysis that am I willing to give one to six thousand dollars in order to get X and articulating X is really what we mean by setting a goal mm -hmm. for the production mm -hmm. and if you don't get it but it like to, to get X or to maybe get X. Or to maybe get X, exactly, um, potentially, um, which is really about doing something achievable because people have made it and made their big yeah. break from their downtown 30-seat or less warehouse black box shows. I mean, the Whoopi Goldbergs of the world, like that happens, but it happens to people who set goals in their, not only on the artistic side, but in the production side. And the fact that somebody got downtown to that show to see that performance isn't only because it was a great performance and wonderfully written and well rehearsed and brilliantly conceived, but because on the production end, that was a goal that was articulated early on. And that a lot of work went in making sure that this reviewer was at this place at this time on this night. Mm -hmm. And the goal can't always be the that's two steps ahead is making your big break. But the first goal is getting somebody in the room to see your work. Yeah. And what's the goal toward that that you can achieve over the course of production is you know opening the lines of communication with somebody who can open the lines of communication with somebody who can open the lines of communication with that person that you want in the room and setting those incremental goals over the course of the production as well. It's that goal-oriented thing that we've talked about in any number of different episodes, that the same way that as an actor, you're not going to have a productive rehearsal if you're showing up to do the greatest performance you've ever done on day one of rehearsal, or as a writer, if you are trying to fix every problem in your script every single time that you sit down. You know, as a producer, you need to say, this, this is what I hope to get out of this. And also, again, with, with setting realistic goals, is that idea of if you're saying, is the risk of whatever funds you have worth X, you're much more likely to get X than you are to get X, Y, Z, and L, and 4. <laughs> um, and also to be really thoughtful within that, that if the idea is, this is really about being an agent showcase. What I really want is I want to get an agent. 
there are a list of the big named agents in New York City who every single person who does a showcase sends a postcard to the show because they assume, of course, that person is sitting in their office waiting for the invitation to their black box show down, you know, in Greenwich Village. With those big, big name people, they are not going to come. They are not going to come. It is frankly a not a wise expenditure of resources to make too much effort trying to get them to come. Now, to get an associate agent in their, uh, in their firm to come see it, that becomes more realistic. To get an associate agent who's the agent of a friend of yours to come, that becomes a step more realistic. To get the assistant of an associate agent to come to your show. Now that actually gets pretty realistic because people who want to be agents, where do they work? They go work in an agency and they're somebody's assistant and how do they move up? By going to their boss and saying, hey, I saw a really terrific person in the show last night down in the village. It's really worth your time to go down and try to catch them tomorrow night. But, you know, that idea of being really focused and really goal-oriented and, and even setting the realistic goal of pouring your resources in trying to get the assistant of every agent in town in to see your show, rather than try to get the three biggest agents in, in, in town to see your show. Because frankly, you could pour $30,000 into your publicity budget and you're not going to get those people to come to the show well, because that's why they have associates and those associates have assistants. And also being smart and knowing kind of the timeline of the year. Uh, like busyness sake for mm -hmm. agents and stuff. You might not want to do it around the fringe festival time. You might not want to do it around the you know nymph festival time because that's when people are already looking at going places. But it also means that they're really busy and are probably not going to get to to your show. And another uh, side note about that: as a producer you really want to be aware of who's in your audience because one of the things you can provide is, is uh, to your actors who may or may not be working for free is that information that they have the potential to follow up with the people with the associate with the assistant of the associate of the head agent that was at the show that given night um, which is something that you can offer and is one of your uh, another thing uh, under I guess communication on the many responsibilities that uh, Kit mentioned earlier I'll say from my own experience my first producing uh, venture, I was also acting, as I said before, and it was one of these situations. It was a uh, uh, former uh, agent turned manager who was the cousin of somebody with whom I went to college who came and saw the show, um, who uh, represented me and actually two other people involved with the show for a number of years, and over the course of that time, introduced me to a casting director and that casting director then introduced me to a commercial agent who is still my commercial agent and that same casting director introduced me to um, a uh, legit agency who is now still my legit agent. That train of events is traced back to my first producing experience indirectly but very directly. Uh, that setting a goal to get somebody in the room that you know what is achievable um, all what are those connections can really bear fruit years and years down the line and there are still and that's only one of many stories from that and other producing experiences that that's really in a beginning of a relationship if, if you're looking at building a career and you're making an investment you might not see the return on that investment immediately or it might be a small return that then yields greater results you know further down the line and it's something that is both really difficult to do at the beginning of your career or to conceive of yourself doing at the beginning of your career, but especially important to do at the beginning of your career, which is to view your career as a long-term investment. And that that idea in terms of setting goals for a production, to say what I'm looking to do is hit a solid single here. Maybe I'll be able to turn it into a double. But what that does, if you're at the beginning of your career and you do a production that does get you an introduction to an agent, that does get you a good review, that does get you a situation where, you have fat, where you've made a really solid relationship with a playwright that could lead to things later on, um, that there really are, though, that's real benefit. You're on base in your career. If you and, and realistically, again, if you're going to do a $10,000 production running for 
a week in a black box theater in the village, to hit a solid single and move your career forward that way is a really, really terrific thing to be coming out of it. And But what happens, I think, is if you go up and are swinging for the fences, that's when you're almost definitely going to strike out. I mean, it just is. And early on, forgive me in advance, but early on in your career, especially at an early producing stage, there will be times when you need to make sacrifices <laughs> in order to, you know, in order to serve the bigger picture. And, but I, I mean, I really mean that, that at earlier, I mean, Jen Kerfenster is a great example of that because um, the smaller scale, non-union, off, 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 times eight, 10, you know, Broadway shows are the places where there is more safety to make those mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one important part of articulating what you want out of it is, am I embarking on this producing venture to pursue a producing career, which is something that kids articulated already, um, or am I doing this to further my artistic career and I'm producing it as a means to that? Um, because you really can become a lot better at producing by making a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, Things are going to go wrong every time you do a show. Every single time. There's never going to be a show where something doesn't go wrong. And it's the producer's responsibility to um, really deal with that. So the more disasters you have a chance to deal with earlier in your career, the better you are going to be at dealing with them as they come up as your career progresses. From with whichever track you're on as a producer or as a, an artist who's producing as a means to get their art out there. But whichever one of those things you decide you're doing with your first production, I think it's just so important to embrace the fact that you have chosen to produce that production. You know, that idea that when you are an actor who's producing, you're not an actor-producer or an actor who's producing. You're an actor and you're a producer and you need to have a really clear sense of which hat you have on at yeah. any given moment. Because frankly, the number one thing that is going to lose the loyalty of your people is if they feel like you are their producer but really you're there to really especially serve that one specific actor who looks an awful lot like you. Uh, you're not going to get great <laughs> work. Trick. You're not going to get great work out of your out of out of the people um, if they feel as though they're always really dealing with the other actor, or they're always really dealing with the writer, or really dealing with the director. You need to be sure when it's time for you to be the producer. That's what you're doing. And in a cynical sense, you're not going to be well served as an artist in the production if you have a crap producer on. <laughs> well, and so don't be that crap producer because you're only going to be handicapping yourself. And also, one of the, one of the smartest things that I've seen is you know someone who's going in, they're a producer, they're also a lead actor, um, and they have an assistant producer who kind of fills in during the last weeks when you're busy or should be busy acting where things don't get cross-wired there and it gets out of control and, you know, a clusterfuck. I think that one of the goals of your first production can be to try producing. Um, especially if you have a big asset that you're looking to invest in your first production and you don't want to blow it in case the production goes awry, you could try producing a smaller project to test yourself out as a producer, something that has less stakes for you overall, uh, that maybe you invest less money, maybe it's a smaller venue, maybe it's a project that's a smaller project, maybe it's in a festival, although that has its own uh, quirks of producing, but to say, I don't know how I am as a producer, I'm going to try this small thing, and then when I have that experience under my belt so that I know what it's like to produce, then I'm going to bring, call my cousin who knows a manager and have them come to the next show instead of pumping up the first show before I know how it's going to go. And that also really gets into that idea that, again, producing is a bigger job than I think almost anybody realizes that it is. There's frankly a reason that there's, produce it, there's a producer on a show and there are actors on a show and there's a director on a show. It's a division of labor 
um, that has been worked out over hundreds of years uh, in terms of what is a sensible way to get a show done. And certainly people can have more than one role in a show, you know, but you know, if, if you're producing your own show that you're also directing or also have written or also acting in, you know, a lot of the producing is going to happen on your lunch break and at three in the morning and staying after rehearsal for two hours to deal with issues. And, you know, it's, which is totally fine and something, but it's, it's what you're signing up for again. It's, it, I mean, it, a lot of it goes back to that. It's just sort of that realization that, you know, it's, it, it's just what you're signing up for and, and there's a lot of power in that uh, you know that that you have made the decision to do two people's worth of work in uh, one production but it is not an excuse to look at people and say man what do you want from me I'm also acting I don't have time to I'm do so that tired. yeah exactly <laughs> or you know what I'm not sure I can come to the rehearsal today because I really need to go and check on the posters you, you know you if you've decided that you're going to do both of those roles you need to fit both of them in yeah yes because it's a lot of power and it's a, you know a lot of responsibility and the I mean as a producer you're producing you're working you're making you're not overseeing you're not bossing there there's work to be done there are responsibilities to be met there are conflicts to be resolved. There are sets to be painted. There are things to be built. There are actors to be paid. There are you know rehearsal rooms to be secured. There's all that stuff that needs to happen, um, and it either can be a, a, a delegatory situation, or you're often, especially in the early stages, going to be doing it yourself, and um, that's a big part of the job. And it will also better prepare you if you are investing in a career as a producer to appreciate the work that those people are doing on your behalf because on your second show, even if you're not doing that, those jobs any longer and are delegating them, as Kit said early, those people are still there at a significantly lower rate than might be the industry standard, which is often zero. Um, and, and frankly, is probably less because they're investing and potentially losing on other work for the opportunity to work on the show with you. Um, and you're, you're providing, you, you're in a position as a producer to produce wonderful opportunities for those people that are working with you. That something that in my first experience that we really articulated was for early career artists to have opportunities to work. And in the same way that we felt that we had work to do but did not have the opportunity and therefore created the opportunity, we recognized that we were not only able but responsible for creating a wonderful opportunity for the person in each position that was coming along with us and that we recognize that in all disciplines in a theatrical production there are those people that are setting out and would like the opportunity to work and the opportunity to make mistakes but also the opportunity to to have the same amount of uh, respect and responsibility that we felt that we deserved and which was the impetus for uh, for our embarking on that venture. I will also say it's very useful as a producer, especially a producer who's who's going into it to learn more about producing, That that's the goal is to be a producer, I guess, is to know as much as you can about the different departments. Mm -hmm. And that's something that maybe you have the opportunity in school, if you're still in school, to learn about lights, to learn about sound, to learn about costumes, to kind of have your hand in that kind of stuff when you can so that you can really be uh, a potential problem solver or can really be a person that knows what they're talking about when you're you know, talking about budget, or just to have that kind of information available to you so that you can really step in and be like, well, what if we, can, what if we were able to do this instead? To, instead of standing back at that point and not having control. I, and not saying you're, you're the boss of it and you're stepping on the lighting designers, you know, space but to really be able to kind of even talk to them in pre-production about what the expectations are in a knowledgeable way. Well that's the thing too is that, that also to have the humility in the cases where you don't yeah. know so yeah. much about what's going on not to just throw your hands up and say well I guess the lighting guy is going to do lighting and I just will write him a check yeah. you know but to, to you know have thoughtful questions and again be sure you've given yourself enough time that you're not asking, because that's not a very helpful thing when you're asking thoughtful questions about the nature of lighting design 
while the lighting designer is on a ladder the day before you open refocusing a light, but where you're able to kind of really get a sense about what does the lighting designer need in terms of resources, why do they need it, can you explain why you need it, need to order the lights three weeks ahead of time. I mean, it, it's, it, I'm sure there's an answer, but it's totally a very helpful thing for you as a producer to be able to ask that question mm -hmm. if you want to, and it's okay to. And it's especially okay too if you've given yourself the breathing room to do that. I think then you'll, you'll the takeaway from that is knowing in your next venture that you need to order your lights three weeks ahead of time. Mm -hmm. If the mm -hmm. person you know if that falls through the cracks, which things do because things always go wrong every single time. Mm -hmm. um, in the situation where the lighting designer is up on the ladder, rather than asking about the nature of lighting design, a helpful question might be, can I get behind the dimmer board and help you out with the light focusing? Yeah. Can I help you hang these lights? Um, or how can, can I do Can so? I hand you a light from the ground? I mean, that's yeah. the thing too, is it, again, in terms of keeping the morale of your team, what a team who's working for free very rarely likes to see is a producer sitting in the, you know, fifth row of the house watching everyone else work. Yeah. Um, because frankly, keeping morale is a huge part of your job. Because there's a real degree, like, frankly, among the cast, it really is the director's job to keep the morale. I mean, the producer ought to be providing an assist. But at, speaking as a director, it's a lot easier to keep the actor's morale if I'm feeling my morale is good. <laughs> right. You know, and it's, you know it, it, just, it, it just helps everybody do their job well if you're letting them know that you think they're doing their job well and offering to help in any way you can. Well, and in terms of which hat you're wearing, that's really also important on the other side as well. When you're being an artist, when it's time for you to be the actor and it's somebody else who gets to be the morale booster, that it's important to fill that role as mm -hmm. it really is at that time. When you put your actor hat on, the other actors and the director need to feel that you are stepping up in your, your responsibilities as an artist and not worrying about writing the check during that part of rehearsal. Yeah. And it is something actually I'll say as, as a director who frankly I at this point very very rarely work with first time producers anymore but you know there came a point at which I decided to not work with first time producers anymore without really vetting the situation but that's part of it is that people I mean it has happened in a number of situations where actors are terrific actors until it becomes time to block curtain call and then suddenly they want producer input into curtain call. And, you know, that's just something, I mean, I know as a director there comes a point at which, you know, I just began saying, you are an actor right now and this is not a conversation um, that we should be having. So, bow after him. You know, it's, but, it, but it is important, yeah, to really know, you know, when you're an actor, that you're an actor, when you're a producer, that you're a producer. I think it's important to be able to step into those different pairs of shoes when you are filling both of those roles, and it's important to be able to do that when you are not, when you have a singular role, especially when you are the producer, to be able to, as we said, to identify and speak the language of the people that you're collaborating with, because that's essentially your job, is to account for the experience of everybody else that's in this production with you. So an experience of having dual responsibilities in a show can be incredibly challenging and you're taking on a double load. But what you're also doing is practice, is really getting experience in jumping from one perspective to the other. And we've been talking a lot about the actor that's also producing. I, mean, I have a friend who's a lighting designer who produces a lot and has his own company and is phenomenal at both um, and really does that, really is able to flip from one to the other. And there are people that have experience in multiple disciplines and in any given show or production might be working in any one of those or any two of those yeah. in some instances. But really your job as a producer is to take that practical experience and virtually do that with every single person on your team. That's the, I think the best thing that you can do. And so a producer actor might be sympathetic to the actors and say, okay, well I know, but you also, you want to be doing the same thing for your design team. You want to be doing the same thing, thing for your, for the assistants, for the stage management team, for everybody uh, that's involved with the production. You want to be able to see the production through their eyes and through their experience. And another benefit that's related to that to producing is not only is it about being able to see from other people's perspective, not only is it about learning to produce, but there are actually a lot of skills that I picked up as a producer. Yeah. You know, in terms of things like there was never enough money, it never seemed like a good expensive money to hire a graphic designer. So the number of shows where it's like I designed the postcard 
not by having a great sense of composition and doing it in an hour, but by making 40 different versions of the postcard over three weeks until I found the one that worked. But the result of doing that for 30 shows or so, or however many shows, I got to a place where I could make a postcard in an hour that told the story of a show, and now I do it for other people and other shows. You know, I mean, that there are certain things that you can, you know, you, you, you're learning it in the crucible, but you are actually taking away, um, you know, uh, uh, skills that you can apply other places. And also, um, if you're a first-time producer and you're in, you know, if you're in the crucible or death of a salesman or whatever it is, <laughs> and no, but really, if you're if you if you are a first-time producer, you are probably or likely anyway working as will be working as an assistant on a larger scale production, and the time might come where somebody <laughs> needs somebody to focus a light or to run rehearsal one day. And the more you know about stage management, the more you know about lighting design or about technical direction or any one of these different things we're talking about, it's going to put you in a better position when you're uh, not in a, um, a leadership role in a maybe larger scale production and will help your career in that regard that you will have those skills available when you're being called upon. Before we move on to kind of the nuts and bolts elements and uh, you know, kind of little primer on some best practices. There are two little things I, I want to get to, which is, do you guys have thoughts about creating a production company or a theater company to produce a piece or just producing a piece under the aegis of produced by Jenny Curlin or whomever? I would say it falls back to that, that central question of what you want to get out of it. And I know we keep coming back to it, but I do think it's because it's the root of, of everything else that you do. Um, if you're, as, as Kit uh, provided as an example earlier, if your goal is to do this role in this play that no one will cast you as, and you want to do that, and you're going to do everything we've been talking about, and be a really responsible, phenomenal producer, and deal with the inevitable problems because things always go wrong, deal with the inevitable problems that arise, and in order to play this part, then you will have done that, and so it might be better to just do the show as a one-off. But if you're making an investment in a, if you want to be a producer, I think you might want to make uh, serious considerations about uh, setting up a company and really thinking about what's next and what your identity wants to be and what the way that you're going to work on your next show from how, what you took away from the first show. Uh, I think there are a lot of reasons to do something for uh, a long term and to really invest in taking that momentum and taking those people that saw your show and enjoyed it and those relationships that you started and continuing them by building a team. That's something that can be very valuable. But there are also very good reasons to just do a show as a one-off and, and do it. But I think identifying what you want will reveal that answer to you. I think generally it has to do with whether you're playing a short game or a long game. If there's a, a specific goal, like you just, like Jersey said, there's just one role you want to play, and once you're done with that, you don't need to produce anymore. Or uh, there's just one play that you've written that you want to try out, so you're just going to do that, and, and then you're going to go go back to school or something. Then definitely a one-off, but. Because you put so much resources, even if there are mistakes and problems that come up, as inevitably there are, um, your experience as a producer and the team that you build is something you, it, it's sort of like collecting things, collecting people, collecting knowledge, and if you have some sort of company as a repository for that, that they can benefit from that the next time. They can say, we have this lighting designer who's attached to us, we have these this directing playwright team that they'll do another one, and remember last time, theater that we're renting from it, how well it went last time, you know, that you, you can build on your reputation right. if you plan to have a reputation. <laughs> if you're if you're just investing in a in a one-term thing there are some things that you don't need to invest in so heavily but reputation is something that is really hard to build um, so 
if that's your goal, then I think that that's why you would have a company as opposed to, obviously you'll have a personal reputation. If it's just a one-off, they'll be like, I never want to produce with that girl again, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, if it's a, if it's a company, you know, reputation is a big part of your long game. And at the same time, there are, in terms of managing your limited resources, there are resources that go into building a company to do the play. You know, so it is something that, I mean, I think there are a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm going to, I've always wanted to play, you know, Hamlet, and so I'm going to, you know, rent a theater and do Hamlet, but what I really need is to, you know, I need a name of the company, and we need a logo, and we also need to have 15 meetings with the people to decide how we want to structure, and who, you know, and and if you're really just doing it because you want to do Hamlet, and you don't think you're especially likely to produce something else except for similar reasons, those are resources that could be going into producing Hamlet or getting people to come see it. Um, you know, that said, there's also the question of the kind of company that you want to produce. Because if it is something that you feel like, I want to be a maker of things happening, I want to produce things, you might want to create a production company. But if your goal is, I want to create a place where this group of people can work, then you can say, then you might want to create a theater company rather than a production company, where it's about, it's not identified as you know, the Jenny Curlin production company, but it's this company made up of Jen and Jen and Jenny and Jersey and Kit who are going to, to bring this in, that there is something to encourage people to be, you know, to, to view themselves as part of a team, that can be a very useful thing. Again, if part of the goal is to build a team you want to continue working with. So you have a name to call it. Hey, do you want the Cry Havoc Company. The Cry Havoc Company to do it. But actually, that's a very good example um, because the Cry Havoc Company actually was originally called Cry Havoc Productions that was created or conceptualized to be a place where we could come and produce plays. And there came a point at which we realized that actually what was much more important to us was the team of people that were doing it rather than the fact of the production company and we actually changed the name of the company to the Cry Havoc Company and changed its model to be much more of a repertory theater company than a production company that jobbed people in for each production. And another thing you want to think about when you're deciding whether you want to have a one-off company versus a production company that you're building for the long haul is what kind of a role you want to have as the producer, whether you want to have any creative input or whether you're just, uh, you're, you're leaving all creative decisions to the, to the creative staff that you hire. Um, because it can, if you, if you want that, if you want to have creative input, you need to uh, sort of negotiate that in your deal with your creative staff so that they know that that's something that they can expect from you rather than something that they come across later on when they didn't expect it and all of a sudden you want input into decisions that they thought they had full authority for. Yeah. So I think it's it's either one, just know what you want to do and then you know let people in on it ahead of time. And it is okay if you are a producer and you have a you want to to produce a production of Macbeth that takes place on a steamship. If that's your vision of the show that you want to produce, that's totally fine. You just need to be sure again when you're sitting down with the director, when you're sitting down with the you know with the with the designers that you're saying I'm interested in having you come in and, and direct or design a steamship Macbeth. And that's totally fair. I do think, though, that you do have a responsibility if you're going to want to have input like that to be clear up front, not just that you want it, but why you want it and what kind you want. I remember an interview I had with an artistic director of a theater where the artistic director you know, we had a very nice time and he said, well, I just, you know, I just take my responsibility really seriously to this company. So I just want to be sure that you know as a director, if I ever feel like I would like to take over the direction of the show, that that's my prerogative as the artistic director. And I said, well, certainly that is absolutely technically true, but if you feel as though you need to reiterate that before we start, I'm not sure that this is a, a journey I care to embark on. You know, that it's... Uh, <laughs> 
I don't know if I want to go on that, <laughs> that steamboat journey with you. <laughs> and if you have a eureka moment halfway through the production, I think it's, which happens, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in a wonderful synthesis of creative ideas, this happens. That's a different situation than, than a uh, conceit that, that is part of the original uh, reason for bringing everybody onto the show. And that you're in less of a position or it's, it's going to be a harder and more delicate to try to make something like that a reality if halfway through the production you decide you would like to set it on a steamship, which is something, you know, that <laughs> yeah. happens. But you have to realize that that, is then, that then becomes a different situation. That is that it is not going to be helpful to you to achieve this goal to say, I have decided that this is going to happen and now everything's on a steamship. Go and throw out the work you've done. That might not be the way to achieve that goal. And it actually is something that, as many things like this are, somewhat ironic that if you do want to just have a general sense of input into the process, the best way to do that is to be really supportive of your people. I mean, I love as a director when I feel like I have a supportive relationship with a, uh, with a producer and a lot of my favorite stories of my eureka moments as a director are ones where I had this idea and I went to the producer and said, I've got this idea, what do you think? Because I had created a relationship with them and I trusted them and I knew that they trusted me and they became my ally on the production and someone who I wanted to discuss artistic uh, choices with. Mm -hmm. um, because that is a really good way to get locked out of the artistic process if people feel as though you're not going anything that they talk to you about you're going to overrule them on or quash them and it's it's a good it's a good position to be in when people consider you a sounding board that they that they want to uh, use and once people trust your opinions and guidance then they can approach you for creative matters as well as for production matters um, if you want to have, like you said if you want to develop that kind of relationship with your creative staff it's really about if you want to have that kind of input in the show and knowing that ahead of time and articulating that whether it's a general creative input or a specific creative vision which might be associated with your goal behind doing the production in the first place which hopefully it is you want to make that decision and then stick to the decision that you've made through the production process yeah and and even if you don't especially want to have creative input, it is important to have a vision of the production as the producer. And it goes back to the gold things that we were talking about before. But it's a, it, it is something that if in an interview with a director you say, I really want to put this company on the map by getting a really great review for the Times, by doing something, you know, that I can invite the artistic director of this theater. You know, if you're a playwright, I'm doing my thing. I want to invite this artistic director to see the play so that they can, um, you know, so that they will produce other of my work. That it then becomes, and it's an especially delicate situation if you're wearing multiple hats, but you then do have grounds on which to have discussions with the director about saying, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with these choices, not because I as the actor don't like your choices, but we said at the beginning we were trying to get a, make a production that would do this. And I'm not sure the choices you're making now are getting us closer to that thing. It's just a much more comfortable conversation to have when you're going back to something you articulated to begin with, rather than just springing on the director, but wait a minute, you know, the artistic director of Vampire Cowboys won't like that. Well, nobody told me he was supposed to. Whereas, if I was hired as a director by a producer who said, there is a very specific person who I'm inviting and I want to do the kind of show that they will be excited about, well, I will decide whether or not I'm interested in that job based on those parameters. But once I've accepted the job, I would think the producer would, have abs would be absolutely within their rights, even if they were also an actor or also the playwright to say when they thought we were wandering away from that thing they hired me to do. Mm -hmm. That'll help in those moments of making calls with an individual who you're working with. It's also going to help with conflict or with making calls where you're sacrificing one thing for another. 
that you're not pitting lighting against the director, against costumes, against the actors, that it's really how can we, because people are going to uh, be in conflict with each other and part of your job, you know, things are going to go wrong because things inevitably will go wrong. Every time you do something, something's going to go wrong. It's just going to happen, but you're going to be better equipped to solve a problem when we're all working together in service of this thing that we all signed on to do. So how can we together figure out maybe we won't have this special cue because we're better served to do X by devoting resources to something else. That would be a more helpful way to look at it. I think those are all really important, relatively big picture things about what you need to consider and think about when you're embarking on the role of a producer and the ways that you can really set yourself up to succeed as a producer. Um, but I'd like to, before we close out, run through some of the specific tasks of a producer and just see if there are things that any of us here um, have any specific thoughts about. So um, let's start off with, uh, with pre-production. We're going to end the discussion here for this episode. Join us next episode as the conversation continues with practical tips about staffing, budgeting, fundraising, marketing, and the other responsibilities and tasks that every producer must oversee. If you enjoy our podcast, you can get it automatically by subscribing through iTunes, where you can also post a review. If you have questions or comments for us, please write us at podcast at cryhavoccompany.org. To learn more about the Cry Havoc Company, visit us online at www.cryhavoccompany.org. So for Kit, Jenny, Jersey, Jen, and all the artists at the Cry Havoc Company, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.